the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. You're very welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cuddy here with you until 7 o'clock. I'm delighted to say that the broadcaster, Mary Kennedy, is my guest this week for the Thursday interview. Mary, Happy New Year. Many happy returns, yeah. It seems um, seems like ages ago that we had Christmas. I know, I know, I know. I think we we get away with Happy New Year, I think, until the end of this week. Certainly after Monday, no, oh. no more of it. I think it's nice until about oh, the really? of January. Yeah, it is a new year. Ah, go away, Mary. You can't be wishing Happy so. New Year up to the Ides of January. You can. My daughter's birthday is 15th of January and we always say Happy New Year up to them. That's oh, do the it. Well, point for us. Well, this is shameless now. My birthday is tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday. Well, thank so you very much, Mary. I am, yeah. A good GA <laughs> birthday as well, Mary. And, well, listen, uh, thanks a million for taking the time to have a chat with us so early in the, the new year, 2022. Um, tell me this, uh, the Clondalkin you grew up in, how different is it from the Clondalkin, or was it from the Clondalkin that exists today? Oh my goodness, Clondalkin was the heart of the country when my parents, both of them were from Dublin 7, in around the cattle markets, you know, and Ockram Street and the Matter Hospital, all that kind of area. Um, my father went to Brunswick Street, my mother went to Stanhope Street. Um, and when they got married and moved out to Clondalkin, um, their families thought they were absolutely moving to the sticks. Um, <laughs> when they moved out, they moved in 1953, the bus didn't actually go the whole way, so they had to walk a little bit from, from St. Newlands Cross down to uh, the road, where the, St. Bridget's Road. But I have to say, growing up, it was the most wonderful place. It, there was a great sense of, you know, a village. There still is. I mean, most mm. of the, the contemporaries of my parents um, have died. But some, like, for instance, the people living in my house are uh, children of people that my dad and mam would have known and I actually taught the woman who's living in my house because I was a teacher in Clondalkin for a while as well. So a lot of Clondalkin people when they move away they always want to come back so it has a very strong pull. Massive. It was a, a very new community at the time and my father he was in the he was in the Vincent de Paul. He was a founder member of the Credit Union. He was a founder member of the Tidy Towns, the talent contest <laughs> for kids, everything. My mother was in the ICA. There was always something going on. Now it's really, I suppose, a satellite town, but I think it still has at its heart a great sense of of belonging and looking out for people and, you know, community. And did did it noticeably change? And I don't mean any of that, as you say, that, that that still exists to a degree. But I mean, even the, the visual aspect, did that noticeably change as you were growing up? Did it become that satellite town? No, not not the, the village where, where we were growing up. The village is still very much the same. The only thing which I have noticed, and uh, it's, a, it's a blessing, is that they have a one-way system around it now because, jeepers, it used to be a nightmare trying to get up and down um, from British Road <laughs> to the village and back again. Um, and the school where I taught, Colosh de Breed, was the girls' secondary school. Um, it's state-of-the-art now. Um, in, uh, when I was going to it, we were uh, in prefabs, but now it's a three-storey beautiful building and with lifts and all sorts of uh, fancy things. No, um, it has 
hasn't changed a huge amount, but there are, there are more estates and they are kind of um, further out from the village. It's been, there, it was all farmland. You know, the, the, the man used to come with his eggs and sell them door to door and there'd be the butcher. I remember I, um, back in the day, this sounds like for the old, for the old, um, uh, the butcher, you would phone him. My mother would phone him in the morning with her order and it would be delivered at about 12 o'clock because then she would have the, the meat uh, cooked for, for dinner in, in the middle of the day. We always had our dinner in the middle of the day. That's and you know, this is, this is Nolignamon. Today is the 6th of January. And um, I can remember growing up on the road where I grew up, all the women were of an age, if you like. And on the 6th of January, they would meet in, in one of their houses in the afternoon and they'd have tea and they'd all bring a bit of their Christmas cake and they would swap it around and they'd be, you know, that was kind of the, it was also called uh, kind of hanseling. They would um, they would just look after each other. There was one woman, Mrs. Breslin, and she used to make the most beautiful macaroons and she would always bring them and the women would bring them home to their families. So that was the way they celebrated Nolignamon. Um, you know, it was it was very gentle kind of a community. Yeah. It was also the type of place where if you did something uh, bold on the road, you had about <laughs> ten mothers that could have a go at you. There was no, <laughs> there was no kind of saying, um, "You're not my mother. You're not the you're not the boss of me." That was not the case. That didn't go down well at all. I can't imagine you being very bold now, were you? <laughs> I wasn't really. <laughs> I was the opposite. I was oh god, my 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 uh, brothers and sister. They say I was a, a pain because I was always very cautious and very nervous and very anxious, and I wouldn't leave anything to chance. So when we were in school, I would be studying for hours and hours and hours, and you know I was the eldest, so that was the art stick was and the standard was set. But um, I think they probably enjoyed life more than I did. Do you regret that? Yes, I do. Yes. If I, you know, the way sometimes you're asked to kind of write a letter to your younger self, I, yeah. that is the thing I would say to my younger self. Please don't spend so much time, you know, on belt and braces when it came. You know, the way when you'd be doing your leaving cert and, um, well, anyone I know wouldn't, you wouldn't study the poetry that came up the year before because there was no way that was going to come up. I would, yes. just in case. Um, and <laughs> I, you know, I just feel that I spent an awful lot of time worrying about things that, yeah, needn't have. This kind of uh, idea that you grew up with, this kind of, well, what do we call it, this uh, rural idyll that you grew up in in Clondalk. And to what extent was all of that shattered by your father's passing? Well, um, I was very young uh, and I was the eldest, as I said, I was 21 when my father died and uh, it was, it was, it was very hard. I was actually teaching English in France. I'd finished my degree. I'd done Irish and French and then went over to France to teach English um, in uh, in a university in Brittany for a year. And uh, it was just the start of the Easter holidays and the uh, the phone call came through. I was actually going off with my flatmate, who was from Scotland, to spend the Easter in Spain. And I just got a call from my uncle, Tom, who lived next door to say, you know, your, your dad has taken... Um, uh, isn't well, will you come mm. back? Now, he was actually dead by then, but I didn't realise it and I didn't 
I, I suppose I didn't let that in, but it's funny. The acts of kindness that were shown to me as I made myself from made my way from Brittany to Paris and back to Dublin were unbelievable. I was leaving uh, Rennes at 6 a.m. and going to the station the following morning and a, a couple stopped and they were tourists. They were actually English tourists. And I told them the story that my father had, you know, taken a turn while playing golf and I was uh, told to come home. And... They stayed with me on the platform until I got on the... I thought it was really odd. Yeah. But they stayed with me until I got on the train. And when I went to the airport, uh, I was on standby. And they said, no, the plane is full. And, um, you know, I explained my story. And then all of a sudden, when the, the gates, when people were being called, I was the first person called on to the, the plane. I said, that's odd. I thought it was full. They, people, I suppose, they were more mature than me. And they mm. knew that this was serious. And I knew when I went through the, the doors at arrivals opened and um, my, my father's brother and my uncle, my father's brother was my godfather. Uh, they were there. And I don't remember, but I was told that I just kind of just roared and I actually don't remember a lot of the rest of it but it was absolutely traumatic I hadn't seen him since he came in on a morning in January to say goodbye because I was going back to France after the, the Christmas yeah. holidays and yeah it was tough it was my mother was um, she was very well supported by her women friends but I, I think there was a sadness about her always after that and that was back in the day when you know she wore black for a year when my dad died and after six months she introduced a white kind of collar a white blouse under her cardigan but that was it for a year and that was hard when you say when you describe your mother's mourning uh, and the kind mm-hmm. of the almost formal mourning and that you found it hard i mean what did you mean by that i found it hard to to look at somebody who was so 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 sad mourning mm. and also i was caught up in my own mourning i remember the funeral my dad's father was still alive my grandfather and he was a a very elderly man he lived actually until he was 93 I can remember him coming to the hearse and saying it should be me in that coffin not Tom and I also remember that evening sitting in the kitchen and wanting to take a little fold-up chair and go out to Esker Cemetery and I just had this terrible feeling of him being on his own and the weather was dreadful and then there was the silence around the house and then the the women it was almost like a support army for my mother I just found it hard to to look at somebody who was so sad and not be able I suppose to to help you I don't mean to be indelicate you're older now than your dad was when he passed away yes is is that something though that you're kind of conscious of or were you conscious of it when you kind of cross that Rubicon? I feel very grateful for the age that I am and the health that I have and the energy that I have and I don't take any of it for granted. My father was 59 when he died. I'm 67. And he didn't get to the the easy part of life where there were fewer bills to be paid and children Mm. still had to be put through school and college. So he didn't get to enjoy that. I am very conscious of it, that that his life was cut short and that I I think that's why I have what people say is a very positive attitude to life, which doesn't mean that I don't get, you know, low or depressed or fed up with things, but I do appreciate 
that life is for living and that life is is a gift and so is yeah. good health. If you're just tuning in, I should say to the Thursday interview, Mary Kennedy is is my guest. You you were only 21 then, so obviously your dad wasn't around then for the, the change of career as well, as it were. And mm-hmm. I suppose most people listening will, will know you for all of that and for the, the Eurovision and... Yeah. Uh, you know, Open House and the People of the Year Awards and Up for the Match and, and everything else nationwide, of course, more recently and the Queen's <laughs> Visit. I mean, I, well, I, could, I could keep going and going and going. Is there, is there anything in there when I mention it that stands out to you? Can I first of all say that um, he died in 1977 and I joined RTE as a part-time continuity announcer in 1978 and mm. he would have been proud as punch he just loved performing he was uh, one of the other societies that he was a founder member of in Clendalkin was the amateur (laughs) dramatic society was there anything he didn't found out in (laughs) Clendalkin well it was a fledgling village so somebody had to do it they were all in it together (laughs) just he loved performance and I remember um there was he worked in New Ireland assurance company and there was a, a colleague of his who was big into um Toastmasters and speech making and this Mm. man wrote a book called Stand Up and Say It and it was all about how to you know craft speeches and how to deliver them and he got him to sign a copy and he gave it to me and um, I, I, I still have it but uh, it was he was just interested in all of that and felt that 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 would be something nice to do because I was kind of teaching speech and drama at the time and I was also doing debating so he would just have been so chuffed to see me on the television and then to things like the Eurovision whereas my mother who uh, did get to see all of those things was always very cautious if I was doing something big like the the Eurovision or like really why um, well, she was, first of all, nervous for me that I might fall flat on my face or something <laughs> like that. But she had this thing, you know, she would have dreaded if it were to go to my head, if I were to develop notions or, you know, kind okay. of feel that way about herself. And it's funny, um, when I was doing some gig and I might bring her along as my guest, somebody, one of the organisers that we were chatting, having a cup of tea afterwards, would say, this happened regularly, say, oh, uh, you know, oh, you must be very proud of Mary. And she, her answer was always, I'm proud of all my children. There's no <laughs> way she would put one above the other, which I admire in her. Did that abate at all, that nervousness she had for you? I mean, as your career proget- progressed? Like, I'm sure, surely, surely at some point... There, the, the, she, she was watching up for the match or nationwide and she thought Mary's probably going to make it through the next 30 minutes now without falling fat in her face. <laughs> well, if she did, she never told me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, she was right to the very end. She was, you know, cautious and reserved okay. with her with her plaudits. And I suppose like so many other women of her generation, she found it hard to kind of countenance that this was a this was a a livelihood, a career, and that I'd give yeah. it up a full-time pensionable job. Although to have to, and another thing about her, she was off her time, Kieran. I have to say, when I was um, teaching and had small children, uh, she was my childminder, and 
she was very happy to to do that, and I I really treasure the fact that she, as their their grandmother, was minding them when they were collecting them from school and things. But she definitely had a notion and a feeling that um, I should really have been doing that myself. That when you have children, you stay at home and you mind them and you rear them. She was subject to the marriage bar because she worked in the civil service, um, but she would have chosen to leave anyway when she had she felt her place was in the um, in the yeah. family. And so, like if. If on some level she kind of always thought of you as maybe the teacher who was just doing this kind of strange television work for a while, did, yeah, did a you think years. of yourself <laughs> that way? Like, as in, in your mind, when did you stop being a, a teacher who's trying out something else and became a broadcaster who was a teacher? I suppose, really, um, until I became full-time staff in RTE, which was when I joined Nationwide, which was uh, 2004. Up to that, I was freelance. Now, it suited me because I suppose it was a bit of my mother in me and I didn't want to be working all the time when the children were small. So it was nice to be doing things like Open House, which went from October to May. So you were home during the summer holidays with the children. Um, I always felt from the time... I started work in as a part-time continuity announcer and was teaching. And then when I did the Eurovision, I said, OK, it's time to give it a go. So I uh, resigned. I still worked part-time, but I always felt that I had teaching in my back pocket. So if it didn't work out, I could go back. And, you know, I really think that that stood me in good stead because I never tried too hard or I never, I don't think I ever felt needy and feeling, you know, oh God, this has to work. This has to work because mm. if it doesn't, I'm out of a job. I said, but this is really lovely. I'm so enjoying it. And if they want me to do it again next year, well, they'll offer me a contract. The success of Nationwide as well, then, can, you know, 2004, when, when you got the full-time contract presenting, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure is there equivalents of Nationwide Nationwide's in other countries but Ireland seems particularly well suited to a show like that and I lo- I always love that Yates line you know my country is Kiltartan's Cross like we are we are mm-hmm. parochial and Clondalkin mm-hmm. is such a, a draw for you still and I still yeah. live if I'm, I'm about 200 metres away from the house I grew up in right now well, speaking to you there you, you go you know and, and that's not unusual here it is unusual in other countries and I, I don't know what you think but in my mind nationwide kind of fits into that tapestry well it does in that it celebrates initiative entrepreneurship community spirit family ties and place it's though so as well successful and place but it's so successful because as a nation we are interested in other people and in our own people you see we, we are a Celtic people and some of the attributes that we have that are part of our DNA and which I think we kind of, you know, don't give ourselves enough credit for, are a resilience, first of all, which has seen us well during the the pandemic. We are compassionate. We care about other people anywhere you go in the world where there is need and there is, say, in the developing world where there are um, people helping the the local people to get a, a start, you will always find, and I have travelled widely in the developing world, you will always, always, always find Irish people who do this work because they want to. Um, you will always, I mean, look at the, the White House. We are a tiny nation and we have given two presidents to the United States, one of the biggest powers, and also the only small nation or nation that has a kind of an open invitation 
to the White House yeah, every St. Patrick's Day. We certainly do punch above our weight, you know. And it's funny because the other night I was watching um, the documentary on RT about Donny O'Sullivan, you know, the CNN oh, yes, reporter yes. who came to uh, to the, the forefront uh, during the insurrection on this day last year, actually, on, on yes. the Capitol. It was very interesting. I mean, he's obviously uh, so talented and so sharp with regard to technology and he's got a, an investigative mind. His superiors and his colleagues at CNN who were interviewed about him, the thing that really struck them was that people spoke to him, the people opened up to him. And I just looked at him and he was just so natural and so warm the way we are as Irish people with others. He was interested. He was curious. It was conversational when he was um, doing Vox Pops. And we don't yeah. always give ourselves credit for that. So to get back to Nationwide, that's what Nationwide really is about. It's having chats with people. And every time if I was, you know, going to interview somebody or to meet somebody and they said, oh, please, now, won't you go easy on me because I'm very nervous. I said, this is just a conversation. And you're yeah. telling me what you think and what you know. And, and once, you know, people realise that, they're much more relaxed. Well, listen, I wish we had more time, uh, Mary, to relax <laughs> and have a conversation. But uh, um, Maybe we'll, another time we'll, we'll, be, we'll be run out of studio by off the ball. Listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> And and I've enjoyed it as well, Kieran. It's I I just love chatting about lots and lots of different things, particularly us Irish people. Well, listen, we we will we'll chat again soon, and happy New Year again. Many happy returns, Mary Kennedy, the broadcaster. If you want to listen back to the interview, don't worry, we'll get it up on the News Talk app forthwith. But like I say, off the ball, they're going to run us out of studio. They're coming up next, and I'll be back tomorrow from four. Have a good one, folks. 